My wife was not supposed to have a child. <laughs> oh, God. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Corre, a Finn living in Malaga, Spain. And I'm Henrik, Finn living in Jamsankoski, Finland. Where? Precisely there. E- even even Finns don't know where the fuck Jamsankoski is. And I'm Zach, an American living in Boston. Zach, this is your second episode. You're the new member of the podcast. It Good is. I'm no, here. I'm no yeah. longer a virgin. So this is now my second time, so we can uh, we don't have to be quite as gentle. <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations we to you. I, I'm I'm really happy for you. Thank you. A bi-weekly podcast is what we are doing here, focusing on international cinema. Today's focus will be on the films The Ring, Ringu, and Ring. So Japanese, Korean, and the American version of The Ring horror film. Yeah, also known as The Ring. The ring and the ring virus. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Why don't you give me a call? That was a good one. Yeah, I'll give you props for that. <laughs> it was quite the curse, though, to go through all of these ring-related videotapes. Oh, shit. But, uh, w- was it ever? A, a, a word of the wise to, to anyone who dreams on making, making a Japanese horror-themed film podcast someday. Never marathon the three first ring movies back-to-back. Oh, God. A little bit more about that soon. Oh, yeah, Henrik, apart from your Belgian porn collection, how's your music video editing going? <laughs> well, let, let's just say at, at, at this point of, of, the, of the process, I'm, I'm really hoping, like, I'm, I'm putting my prayers and hopes on the possibility that I myself might land a cursed VHS tape. <laughs> All right, so these three versions... <clears throat> well, it all started with uh, Koji Suzuki, who wrote the original novel Ringu. And the film Ringu is a film that kind of opened the floodgates for a new era of horror and J-horror. And if it didn't outright invent the this long black-haired girl in white costume, it's it certainly popularized this trope for several years to come. At least for the Western audiences, the maiden with with a long black hair is is nothing new to the Japanese audience. In fact, it's fair to say that it's some sort of a trope or or maybe even a gimmick in in Japanese horror stories. But it's it's not reality that perhaps it, it showcases to you extremely clearly if you are part of the Western audience space. And since we are talking about popular, popularizing, popularizing, I just can't fucking twist my tongue to to form <laughs> the word right now. But since we are talking about Asian horror kind of coming to the and coming to contact with the Western audiences. Another major part that is also play at here would be the Korver Pinsky's remake 
of Ringu, which on its own terms was opened the floodgates for the Hollywood Japanese horror film remakes. Yeah, a few words about the Japanese background from my end. One of the most notable franchises alongside this is the uh, the copy trope of Ju-On, or what I do consider as the most famous, perhaps, copy of the Ring franchise, aka The Grudge, which is about the curse in a haunted house. And similarly, Ju-On has an incredible amount of, what, 14 films in this series, when you include the four American ones, yes, and there's one short film that started it all. Yeah, and I didn't even mention the novels yet, and the comics, and the video game, and the TV series. Yeah, and the Netflix series, and like, Yuon also is, is basically everywhere. And in many ways, I consider it a sister piece, or... And it has this similarly massive universe of films. It it, it kind of, uh, I would say, it, it's a fair assessment to say that Yuon is, is a sister piece. I don't know about the shared universe. Because Japanese horror, if it, it, it's it's nothing if not full of, oh my god, there is a location or a thing that has a curse and a dark-haired maiden tied that that curse. Like we we have had in, in Japanese horror, we have had haunted skyscraper apartments. We have had a haunt, haunt, haunted uh, photographs. We have had haunted basically what. Ever. And what is this new film where actually Sadako and the the antagonist from Juon take on each other? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that that's a whole another topic. Basically how 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 the two franchises have transformed from from the original films or or the the original stepping stone movie of of those franchises so the whole thing started in 1991 for the rings and so far there are six novels that has been released in 1995 came out the first movie the tv movie ringu kansenban and in 1998 came out the theatrically released films ringu and rasen apparently released at the exact same time in the Japanese market, in the theaters. Whereas um, Ringu got a lot of positive feedback and became a hit, at least as soon as the Ring popularized it to the Americans and the rest of the world. Rasen was said to be a extremely lackluster follow-up for the Ringu story, so much so that its storyline was cast aside in favor of Ringu 2, which completely ignores Rasen. Yeah, from these, I've never actually seen the very first filmatization, the, the Rasen or Ringgazenbahn, you know, you picked the name, uh, but I have seen the kind of, I guess, original trilogy and also the American adaptations and some of the later entries of the Japanese side of the franchise. Yeah, when it comes to the TV movie that started the, the filmatizations, they say that it's the closest to the original Ringu novel, and it takes its, it takes its time to tell the, 
the full story and it has a lot of storytelling and exposition and it's very of course low budget has problems it's not mighty interesting but it's not completely terrible terrible either for a tv movie and it could be said that the acting is the best side of the, that adaptation so so yeah if you're into ring movies then maybe give it a go as someone who has not seen it i can very well believe that it might be the best possible adaptation that you can get from the source novel if you really truly plan to stay true to the original source novel and some disclaimer for this episode it's of course a bit a bit unfair always to to compare films that are taken from different cultures and there is one that is evidently a small budget film and then the other one had a massive Hollywood engine behind it. When I checked the IMDb's box office mojo, it says that the ring had a budget of 48 million USD and even for a horror flick this is quite an unfathomable amount of money for a horror film. That's a shit ton of money and that's in 2002 dollars. And if you look at the horror films that are made now, well, the trend is now to make it for cheap and then have a big turnover. And it seems to be working for production houses such as Plum Houses we have discussed in the Halloween episodes. But yeah, I think for any horror movie, this is pretty huge. And it went on to pull 249 million in the box office worldwide. For the Japanese one, it is, as usual, usual quite hard to find any complete statistics we would also have to consider the home video sales revenue after the ring american version was released and i don't have those statistics so okay where do we want to start with the original or so-called original start at the very beginning it's a very good place to start yeah i don't exactly know how much we have to stick to any kind of a chronological order when talking about these films because I'm fairly confident that as this episode will co go on the line between what film, film we are talking about and what film we are trying to remember most specifically it starts to get really blurry. It does and maybe I could start saying some words about the the groundedness of the 1998 Japanese version. So obviously it's more grounded than the American counterpart. It feels more realistic to a point. And I have to say to a point because, for example, in, in Ringu you have this carefree attitude towards supernatural abilities in a way that it, you just casually might go that, oh, I have those supernatural powers too. So, you know, I know where Sadako is coming from. The main antagonist so we just suddenly realized that the that the father of the kid in the story apparently has supernatural powers tells it outright on the beach okay i'm part of the family too of weirdos yeah which also means that the kid will have supernatural powers and eventually basically everybody has has some sort of psychics except the mom yeah, otherwise I would say Ringu is more toned down, stripped down, and not always to its benefit. Oh boy, I have a couple of notes on that. Hmm. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Close-ups and reaction shots. So, 
It's usual for Japanese films of this era that there are very limited close-ups. And here we have Nagata Hideo-san, the director. He seems to have a great level of dislike for close-ups. Maybe it is just cultural and or budget or... But it cannot explain everything. It is just also the prevailing style of the late 90s and early 90s. My god, it doesn't look good now 20 years on. Sometimes I wonder, what did I see really? visually in these films, they, they can look so, so monotone. Whether it's due to the common cultural style or not, I don't know, the, the, the fact is that there's a lot of, la there's a lack of close-ups or proper reaction shots. The film this way keeps the observer, the audience at a distance. And for me, the audience engagement suffers as a consequence of this. Yeah. Did you notice the, sh the same thing that you get much closer and you get tracking sh sh shots, you get do dollying, you get all this kind of a dynamic thing that you usually ex expect from a horror movie in the remake, American remake. Ba basically, the camera fucking moves in the American remake. It does. That's what happens. It's it's a tremendous amount of of steadicam in in the original, and just you know the camera staying put in in just in one angle, and basically uh, one clear example of this of this in my opinion, in in Ringu is is the moment when our main hero or heroine has seen Rego has first time seen seen the tape. And she panics in the room and r rushes out the room, runs off camera, and then remembers that, wait, wait a second, she still is gonna need the tape, the physical tape, and runs back to get it from the VHS player. And it's it's something like 30 seconds from from simply from one angle shot. Like, like certainly, yeah, 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 it's, it's one shot take. You know, and that always means that it's, artsy. it's masterclass, artsy masterclass cinema, and you can't criticize it because one shot. But I, I, I was, I was actually when when Kor Verpinski took the reins and jumped into the situation, I was kind of happy when the camera actually started to move. Yeah, I have to be really honest about this, and there's a lot of these Japanese fanboys here that defend Ringu at all costs over the uh, American remake. I'm, I think I saw the American version first and I saw the original. I felt that of course the Japanese is going to be a better one. I'm, I, I was maybe going with this mood into the film. Then I watched it and I was like, well, yeah, some things are maybe better here. And it wasn't that kind of an overwhelming sensation of, oh my God, this is so much better and so much creepier and even less so now i i kind of have the similar history even though different experience with, with the with ringu i too originally saw the american remake first and then went and checked out the japanese original feeling very confident that this will be a hell of a lot better than the american one and to me yeah when, when i originally saw it for the first time, Ringu really was something else. And I was like, oh my god. It, to me, it was perhaps my first Japanese horror films that, that I personally checked out. 
And to me, it was like, oh my god, I have I have just found this hidden well of of great horror films, and I will never watch anything else except this Japanese stuff. But I the hidden well, pun intended. Pun very much <laughs> intended. But I didn't have the the experience that I thought I would have, in which I would come to kind of hate the American one and start to see it as the lackluster version, I more or less just, you know, found myself loving both versions. And now that I have three years of, of hardcore film podcasting under my belt and I revisited Ringu, I suddenly find myself that the film no longer holds the, the same effect on me that it once had. And I'm suspecting very much that that is the, the amount of Japanese horrors that I have consumed over the years. And much like all those years back when Ringu and Japanese horror felt somehow radical and different since I have became familiar and stagnated with American-style horror movies. Now I'm kind of getting the same experience also with, with Japanese horror films. Yeah, it's it's weird how it works like that. A little bit of a tan tangent on that. I went to the hellhole known as YouTube and I just happened to see the Chris Stuckman review of the original Ringu he was going through at the time, like some of the sequels and the originals. And uh, he basically praised it through the roof and was completely Stuckmanized with the film, as they say. Wow, I that, that was surprising from a guy who has done a lot of reviewing. That's surprising, yeah, because I usually line up pretty well with him. And... Right. I, I would not line up with him on this. Yeah, I have to say, it was. I, I was also surprised. So I'd seen the original when it came out in theaters in 2001, 2002. The original uh, American remake. But had never seen the original Ringu until uh, just last week. And I was going into this expecting, knowing that you had this and this slew of J-horror films that w was sort of made around the same time that really inspired a lot of these American remakes, thinking, oh, here we go, now we're going to get the real deal. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was equally sort of let down by the lack of impact it had on me and it, the lack of sort of stay, staying power it had with me. Um, where some of the images and some of the thoughts from the American version, like, would stay with me, like, for the, for the next 24, 36, 48 hours. I uh, didn't get the same thing from, from the original Japanese version. And to go back to your point about close-ups, I don't know if that's a... if that's a mistake from the director or cinematographer from maybe an amateur side of things, or maybe they were still new with this and trying to get get used to this, or if this was purposeful because of the actors didn't have the chops to sort of bring it because I mean yeah, to me that's where you sell that's where you sell the performance that's where you sell the emotional impact is in the face of your of your actors and if you can't bring the camera close so we can see that the emotional toll that it's taking on your on your cast then then we can't experience that same emotional toll so I, I don't I don't I don't know where what where the where that fell through but I think it, it did fall through. 
probably a couple of reasons. First of all, as noted, this is uh, not to be the dead horse, but I am. It's a low-budget film, and if you shoot at a minimal amount of angles you're, you're, you're seeing, then you're going to probably save money, and yeah, yeah. That, that's probably a big reason. But then again, it's just, it's just kind of bizarre. Uh, look at the Reiko character go to the TV set and then seeing the video for the first time. Then she gets the phone call. And this is at the moment when kind of the camera angle started to really piss me off. When she goes to the phone, we, we don't get the reaction shot. We get the reaction. It's somewhere there. You have to kind of go a little bit closer to the monitor. Yeah, there's some performance there, but we're not getting a close-up. Then the dialogue deliveries, if I could say a little bit about that. This, these are pretty monotone, and it's not uncommon for Japanese films or Asian films necessarily. But let's try to set aside the, the topic of Japanese conservatism in performance, if you will. The deliveries are just humdrum. They are like, uh, and the lead lead isn't really up to the chops in this performance, in some way, because I feel that she's just this kind of a, sorry, but some kind of a whispering doll, going like, Yoichi, ah, where are you? And so, wow, that was that was stirring, Gary, stirring. I, get, I, have ch- I have chills. Chills. <laughs> what about the script? There are interesting moments that are fortunately cut out of from the American version. When they go um, recheck the video where they have the mirrors and Reiko goes, From this angle, the cameraman should be visible. But not necessarily. Come on. You just tilt the camera to a little bit to the other side and... I think they say that in the American version as well. Something Do about they? the camera angle. Yeah, I think I think uh, the 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 ex-husband says it. Yeah, they they make the the camera angle comment. Okay, I was. I don't the think moment. they they stay on it as as long, but I think he just says, "Oh, look, this is funny because of the the way the the cam- the mirror is angled. You should be able to see the camera, but you can't." And I think that's it. Then they move on. Yeah, yeah, the American version does make the note on that, but it, as as Zank mentioned, moves on it very quickly and does not linger on that point. Thank goodness. What was that plot point about the uh, the the guy not getting the phone call after watching the video in the Japanese version? It happens in the American version. They don't pick it up, but it doesn't happen at all in the Japanese. Maybe Sadako wasn't up to the mood of calling people that day. <laughs> It was, it was her day off. Right. If I remember correctly, it was supposed to be because she's supposed to give the phone call, the original phone call only if you check the film, the, the film, uh, the tape in the location where she was originally killed. Okay. She can only call locally. She can't call long distance because that's <laughs> well, like an extra you know charge. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Do you know how much a lot? Let's. I mean, let's this is 1998. We didn't. We didn't have like national cell service. Well, yeah, we didn't have WhatsApp for Sadako. Yeah, but also the soundtrack falls flat for me. Well, DreamWorks seems to have re-released the the Ringu. Was that then the mass release of Ringu to the Western audiences, so to speak? I'm not sure, but overall the 
audio still stays flat. Maybe when DreamWorks took this under its wings, the shocking moments have gotten a little bit of more channels to it, you know, but but then, then <laughs> I can't help but to kind of go <clears throat> every time there's this stock whacking noise when Sadako drops to the well and the performance is also off, you know, the guy is kind of struggling there, loses his balance and it's all kinds of funny. They can obviously stand in the well, so it's not that deep, so maybe take a few dips and try to look for the body and why, why do this bucket stuff at all? Yeah, but the film has to have a climax, like epic climax of some sort. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the story does not give you anything else to work with, except, you know, the epic race against the time. Can you drain the well? <laughs> yeah, go faster. The, the sun is about to rise and you're gonna die. It's not like in those those dumb American films where you have car chases or or bomb is gonna go off or something else. No, no, no. This is this is smart Japanese, nuanced filmmaking where you have to train the well in time. The clock is ticking. Thank goodness, Japanese always get it right. I do. I I like the 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 fact that in the American version she gets knocked into the well as opposed to making a conscious decision to go down there. Uh, I think that's a better, a better plot device for getting someone down there. Of she gets pushed in, not pushed, but knocked in. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Then there's the color space. It's dull, and there's no foreboding element about it. That there is nothing really about it. Many of these films of the era, from Japan, maybe ones from South Korea, from the region, they they just look boring, color wise. I don't know what that is. Yeah. The the most common defense is that they just they it's just because the Asian filmmakers want to utilize as much natural light and and the natural and the effect of natural light on natural colors as as humanly possible. So therefore they refuse to color the the film footage. And and it totally shows. And the way that the, the lighting is done. Yeah, same thing. You know, the sets are barely lit. And so the camera work feels TV-ish. To an extent that it can be read as a stylistic choice for realism. Yeah, but it's... Now, when you look at it in ret ret retrospect, it's as uninteresting to look at as it was 20 years ago when I when I first saw Ringuan. Another Japanese horrors of the era. It's like, it's made to look as exciting as a Sunday evening dishwash. <laughs> I like that description. Yeah. So about the close-ups, still, we can go back, what eighty years? Griffith used close-up like ninety years prior. I wouldn't be thinking that I would be talking about Griffith again in this podcast, but. Griff Especially in positive note, but here we go again. Oh boy, but I don't see why it's so unimaginable for for this film to why it wants to break break the rules, the basic rules of attention buildup, fixed angles that linger on for minutes, and um, yeah, it just keep me at a distance. It's poorly composed, even. Maybe it's so natural that it's poor. And I don't know how much you can actually defend Nakata here. 
like certainly you can make the case this is the third film that the dude has under his belt as a director so to to some extent you can of course make the argument about you know still somewhat building building up director at work but then again at the same time nagata himself before he became a director, he had working experience from the Japanese, working on the Japanese pinku films, the mm. uh, erotic uh, story-based softcore pornish movies, uh, very much you know, ladies in lingerie and some soft sex scenes tied together by a revenge plot type of movies. And you kind of would think that having the experience on the pinku market would kind of give Nakata more experience on precisely on, on close-ups and, and on cover, camera movement. And perhaps even in, in you know, coloring your film and, and using systematic lighting and other these tricks. Because if you just take a long shot and with camera staying in one place and just let the film run, you can't really make an erotic scene. So the Pinku films kind of have to have to utilize a different type of cinematography tricks just for, you know, in, in sake of having your erotics in your erotic thriller films. I was wondering about this this the the visual style the visual look of it uh this uh, i like how you described it how it's yeah it's like sunday evening dishwash yeah uh i think in in the american version there's obviously that sort of green color uh color correction color grading that they've done uh and it's very cloudy all the time it's very rainy and that's either I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg here. If it was they cap they set the film in Seattle, Washington, which is in the Pacific Northwest of the States, which is always very overcast and very rainy. Mm. Did they set it there so they could make the film look that way? Or is it because they set it there they were like, Oh well, I guess we have to make the film also look this way? Well not- maybe that's part of the sort of mood they were going for. And I don't know if that if there's something with the the Izu or the Izu Peninsula where Ringu is set. Is that is there sort of sim, a similar climate in the same place that always gives it that sort of dank, damp sort of look? That would make sense. Because if so, then maybe maybe that's what they were trying to repeat. Was we want to give it sort of that same that same overcast feeling? Yeah, that's highly likely. And in all of the movies, the island seems to be in a very cloudy, rainy location. So, could be. I don't want to speculate on, on behalf of Verbinski, but yeah. Mm. Visual effects-wise, I also have a beef with that. Like, I'm not giving slack to this. The, the, the film, it's using a frame with inverted colors, for Christ's sake, in its opening climax. Like, really? This, this effect that was available to everyone who had consumer camcorders at the end of the 90s. This just looks really cheap. Yeah, I think we, we keep coming back to this idea of it, it just being done very cheap. 
And in some ways, I can respect a, a horror film that's made for cheap, done for cheap, but you're still producing something that's that's of quality because you want it to have a certain look. But this, sadly, I, I think this it's just done it's just done cheaply, it's just ineffective. Yeah, in a way, it has this uh, sort of a special its own world going, which feels at the same time kind of realistic, boring, and in some sense, disturbing. But The Ring, the American version, I feel that improves on all of the things that I've been talking on. It doesn't do everything perfectly. Nope. And, no. and this whole green filter effect that they have, we have talked about <laughs> color correction before in this podcast, Spectre, my God, that's one of the recent examples that Spectre, which you have to look through this this piss filter, as the fans like to call it. And well, here I guess it's some kind of a matrix hangover, or not sure, but it makes the film look a little bit too otherworldly and kind of distanced from, from reality because everything is green. It's not a huge problem for me, but definitely noticeable. Interesting that you say it could be a matrix hangover. I'd never thought about that, but this is in the aftermath of of the Matrix and very well could be. Yeah, uh, and The Ring, it's it might be the only movie that makes water look disturbing for me. It just happens to, happens to do that. You look at the glass of water and I'm like, ooh, what the hell is that? Oof, don't want to go near it. Mm. Yeah, this uh, paints kind of a sickly feel to the world. One kind of improvement is that The, the, the Ring American removes the, the plot element of investigating the dead couple in the car, which is in several versions adaptations, film adaptations. And it just goes straight to the point, investigating the the lady friend's daughter who has died and skips all the crap. Altogether, I felt that the whole investigative element was stronger in the American film. The original, to, to my liking, it too heavily leaned on the, the idea of the psychics and and the husband being a psychic and basically every single major plot point and confirmation of major plot points being drawn through some type of form of psychic connection into it, 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 I, I don't know some black void like in in Ringu, you basically you have a lot of the same beats as as in Berbinsky's remake surprise surprise but where in Verbisky's film, for example, the husband originally sees the film and does not believe the whole cursed movie business until he himself notices that he now looks much in all, all photographs and surveillance camera footage. In, in Ringu, the husband is, of course, cynical towards the idea of a cursed videotape and then goes into Reiko's apartment and immediately is hit by psychic waves or something like that and deduces that, no, the curse must be real. The, the whole... When, when they have to figure out exactly what is the whole backstory with, with Sadako and they travel to the island to talk with, with her dad, or or the the daughter or the grandfather, that whole thing 
eventually, once again, that plot point is reached through a psychic connection. Husband grab, grabs the grandpa's hand and gets hit by a psychic flashback. So now that's confirmed. Then when they finally reach the well at the end of uh, end of Ringu, and they are there is a, there's a for a moment there's the question: Are they? In correct location, is this really where Sadako has been has been hidden, or where her co corpse lays? And they just pu push the the lid of the well just a, just an inch, and immediately the husband is being hit by the psychics once again. And that's a confirmation that yes, this is the right spot, and Sadako is at the bottom of the well. And I kinda was disappointed by the film constantly taking taking this no the dad's a psychic and we gain confirmation through his powers and i did like the fact that verpinski played more with the idea of of the main lady of that version rachel being an investigative journalist and doing some goddamn investigating and even the fact that in in verpinski's version the duo actually split up so that Rachel goes to to Samara's stepdad's house to to squeeze information out of him while while the ex-husband breaks into the archives of of the mental health facility and they kind of try to maximize the effort how much to investigating they can do I like that and uh I like the fact that um, the the Aiden's father is highly skeptical towards the video, whereas in the Japanese version, yeah, it's it doesn't take too long until he believes all of it. And where the Korean version goes and has a massive wasted opportunity is that the other main star, this this guy, this doctor, he is first skeptical. He's a doctor. So uh, it would have been nice if the guy would have taken this science-based outlook through and throughout the movie. And then maybe only when he's about to face Sadako and uh, kick, kick the dust, bite the dust, whatever. Then that would have been kind of the, the moment when we see his horrified face. That actually this, this came to be and science didn't help me much here. It could have been this kind of a Mulder Scully split between the between the characters, but now that that is not there, there's nothing really going on between them except that the guy comes off as a sexual predator. <laughs> well, the dude was hinted to be a rapist in in the book, or at least the guy ma himself makes the notion that he would have raped some some ladies before the story proper starts the well. the film the ring virus thankfully does not go down this plot line but th there are nuances there are, there are moments where the the book doctor's background possible background suspected background as a rapist kind of also seeps into the film yeah it is a film that tries to also be quite faithful to the novel it it tries and it tries not uh the ring virus is is kind of curious oddity in in the sense that yeah it it makes it it posts the claim that it's going to be 
respectful and follow the novel instead of the, of the previously done Japanese film version of the story. But at the same time, there are major things that the Ring virus also kind of just left off from the story and instead opts out taking the solutions made by by the Japanese film version. One one such, well, the, the biggest the biggest example of this is, is the whole fact that, well, Sadako or, or Ring Virus's version of Sadako, once again, and or her, her vengeful spirit is the culprit of all the deaths. That's, that's not the case from the original story. Originally, the, the famous killer, the famous killer in, in the ring was supposed to be a self-conscious strain of tuberculosis virus that had psychic powers. That, that's, that's your killer, the, the original killer. Uh, See? Yeah. Okay. See, the, the thing goes, in, in the original story, that, that Sadako, if I remember correctly, from, from the book, there's some time when I, when I read it, uh, Sadako su- uh, suffers a nervous breakdown and is confined in a me- mental health clinic where her doctor rapes her and finds out that that Sadako has has bo- both the coochie and the balls which is kind of a shocker and decides to axe the bitch and drop her into the well where Sadako suffers for x number of days building the crutch against basically everyone now unbeknownst to her doctor the doctor also happened to have tuberculosis and through the act of rape Sadako also contra- uh, you know, get, gets the virus. And because Sadako is psychic, uh, somehow in, in her deep world hatred, her psychic powers and the tuberculosis virus, they kind of come together and the, the virus becomes conscious. And a living, thinking thing. And it also inherits Sadako's psychic powers. Basically, that the, the whole... whole Cursed VHS tape is 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 created by by the tuberculosis virus. Sounds pretty funny when you speak it out loud. Oh, and it wow. just gets better, like like in the sequels. In in the sequel book, it's no longer the 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 threat. No longer is the cursed videotape. Now it's a it's a it's a cursed report made out of you know Sadako's case. So okay. the, the killer is a cursed stack of white piece of paper uh, uh one note about the tv movie constant bun you said that in the novel the rape actually happens yep okay yeah in the constant bun there's a guy next to a well with sadako and the, the guy basically is telling to sadako how much he loves her while while he's groping he, her, her her tits and then and Sadako is kind of like, nah, maybe this is not cool. And well, I'll let you, I'll let you play with me anyway. And 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 then the guy goes to grope in between the legs and finds something that he is not pleased with and is shocked. And then Sadako goes like, oh, you're all the same. And after this, there's a bit of a scuffle, and of course, accidentally, at least half accidentally, Sadako falls into the well. 
Yeah, the uh, ring virus plays this this same plot point with alterations. In in the South Korean remake, uh, the rape, a possible rape happens. There, there's sex, and you kind of can't be one hundred percent certain if it's consensual or not. Following the you know the the all the groping, this is all done by now by a patient in, in the same clinic where Sadako works as a nurse and not by a doctor. And following the groping, well, the, the, the possible alleged rapists, rapist strangles Sadako and pushes her down the well. Right. Since we've now brought it up, uh, I find it interesting that the fact that uh, Sadaku is intersex in seemingly the original novel and in the Korean version, uh, but not in the American remake. And I don't think if it's mentioned, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, is it mentioned in any of the other sequels? Any of the other Amer- American sequels? I don't believe it is. No. No. I, I I just I wonder what the thought process is behind taking a, a a pretty significant character trait and removing that. I think it would have been there to just muddy the waters further. I'm I'm not sure if it's necessary, but quite of an mm. un, un, unexpected plot twist when I saw the TV version. Well, it it. Uh, once again, uh, it's hard to say if removing the intersex plot point from the story is what resulted into this, or would this have still happened, even if if all the film versions would have had the, the intersex in them. But what the removal of, of the whole intersex point, uh, plot point seems to have caused or made possible for the film versions is that they remove the aspect of Sadako being so much of a victim early on in the story, or or, you, the, or during the moment when she's originally pushed into the well. Both mm. the, the Japanese and especially Verpinski's American version make the plot point that Sadako was kind of just a huge from the day one yeah. like she was you know profoundly evil character even before she was killed off originally and in and, uh, at least the, the ring American and Ringu you never get a glimpse of why she was pushed into the, into the well right and in the American version the stepmother right she just says that you were everything I always wanted and pushes her to the well, just raising more questions about the background. If you accept the given background in, in Ring 2 and the, the third part of the American series, well, there you have more answers. Yeah, in, in the American remake, they do make a point that uh, Sadako or Samara, as, as she is to, to Verbinski, uh, she put images into basically everybody's head 
apparently shocking and harmful images. She used her tele psychic abilities to basically torment her parents. And that would have been the reason why the mother eventually would have killed her off and dropped her down the well. Why yeah. Samara felt that she had to do this? Well, that's never explained, except in that one flashback in the in the in sanitarium where Samara just states that she doesn't want to hurt anyone, but she wants to hurt everybody, and it's never going to stop. She never sleeps. She never sleeps. Precisely that. Precisely that. Apparently, neither did her parents. I, I think in the in the Verbinski version, I think there there is a quick quick mention when Rachel goes to see the doctor uh, on the island, and she's asking about did you know the family? Did you know Samara? I, I, there, I think there's something in there where she says, yeah, the they they'd always wanted children because she had you know countless countless miscarriages, and then they yeah. went away, and then when they came back, they had a daughter. There's that hint, yeah. And so, yep. They don't outright say it. Yeah, so they never outright say it. So, is is this an alien? Is this a demon? Uh, no, 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 it's I, just I, that, case That's that, open. No, 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 it's just a case that, you know, adoption is bad. <laughs> that's the lesson that we're taking away from this. That, 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 that's the lesson. <laughs> don't, don't you be a- a- adopting those Japanese kids. Oh, <laughs> Ugh, Never. I tell you what, simple white women in America love the fact that, hey, this is a really easy Halloween costume. Mm. Let me go put on some sort of white frock. Let me push all my hair forward and put some gel in it. It's the easiest Halloween costume for a basic white woman. Goblin be thine. Goblin be thine. Henrik, you mentioned the you mentioned the tuberculosis angle of the book. And in the Verbinski version, when Naomi Watts her character goes to investigate Rachel. There's this line from the lady, if you catch a cold, it's everybody's cold. And is it after this line that Rachel goes like, no offense, man, but what the hell does that mean? Kind of love that. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, th- I think so. I think so. So what the hell does that mean? Because I always found this, this notion kind of puzzling. And it seems to be a reference to how a sickness spreads maybe in the way of information and, and what Samara is doing here, she, well, she gets her kicks out of sharing the videotape. If you fail to share this videotape, you're doing it wrong and Samara will kill you. So she's a virus. She's the COVID freaking O2. <laughs> she very much is. And it could also be seen as a reference to the way that we spread information like sickness in this day and age. Sickness, which is is also a word they use for Samara to describe her, or at least the, the animals. Well, see, since you brought up the, that whole point about, about technology, I kind of see it in the same way, especially in the original, original works, like the novel and the, and, and the original Japanese version, Ringu. The novel came out ninety one, originally, so it came on the late end of the VHS craze, just before the whole world 
switched gears and turned into into DVD. And kind of what I what I see in in the original Japanese text is a certain type of condemnation towards well essentially technology. The major point of the story is is the VHS tape, which originally when it came out in in a 1980s, it was a game changer technologically wise in a way how societies were able to consume and product culture. You no longer had to watch video go, go to movies to, to see the films you could just watch them at your own time at your own leisure in your own home from a VHS tapes and it also made production of media that much more more simpler and also less expensive we all of a sudden thanks to VHS we had the boom of these straight to VHS films that were basically any anyone could make one it was that cheap and that easy you you could also say that yeah when vhs tapes start, started to get popular that's when people started to consume content but it's not now more popularized after netflix and such that you are watching content not so much movies but different kinds of content and where i feel that the Hollywood or the movie industry ha has become this mass production house of stuff that you don't 99% need. But yeah, it's just uh, more of a business than uh, um, artistic endeavor. Yeah, and, and, and like you mentioned, the content, that's actually what you are dealing with the original film tape in, in Ringu universe. It, yeah. It's not a movie. Every single film, especially Corvus Verpinski's film, makes the point that it's not a movie. It looks like some edgy student film material. It's very much content that has been easily produced by Sadako's or Samara's ghost or, or in the novel, the tuberculosis virus. And that can easily be transmitted and transferred into the society to be kind of consumed where it slowly carves its way very much like a virus and something that happens in in well in both of the perhaps most noticeable most the biggest japanese horror movie franchises the ring and juon is that there is a force that that forces a violent change to the society they in in both cases there there's some something some kind of a dark for entity or force that spreads like a disease and just eats more space this is especially prominent in in juon where or, or the crutch where the original film kind of ends on this doomsday note where the curse just keeps on spreading and more people just constantly keep on dying from the curse and it will never end basically before the curse has consumed absolutely everyone. And the ring has this, the, the similar point, because everybody has to make a copy of the film, 
and everybody has to show it to someone else. So unless somebody pay, plays, you know, fast and loose with the tape, makes a copy and shows it to someone else and then just quickly, you know, destroys the, the copy, dooming that that person to die, if that doesn't happen, then also in Ring Universe, the, the film, the tape will just, you know, keep on spreading. I would like to see the 100th generation copy of that tape and see how you know, viewable it is. Thank God for VHS technology. Oh, you know the tracking on that tape would be shot to hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> would be some kind of a black lines just running through. Okay. I, I'm happy that Samara changed to digital in the sequels. So. I mean, good, good for her. Good for her. You know, she's embracing the the, the changing world and the the proliferation of, of advanced technology. And you know, there's a lot of older folks that can't even text. And here she is jumping from VHS to DVD and digital. Bully for her. Totally. But she's the only one who's actually embracing, you know, the change in in the story, because. Much in the same way as you can kind of see the Ring story as a condemnation of a technological change, uh, you can also see it as a condemnation of the way how technology changes the society. And this is, in my opinion, the case very much in in Ring, where we all have the image of a traditional quote-unquote traditional Japanese household, where there are several generations living under the same room. You, you have the kids, the parents, the grandparents, they all share the space. But Ringu makes a large notion on the point that the, that traditional family does not exist in, in, in Reiko's household. She is as the as the story starts. She is a single. She is a single mother who has broken up with with her husband, and also the grandparents just believe they, they live somewhere in some place. And once she gets comes into contact with that videotape, the only way how she can actually fight her way out of the curse and di from dying in in course of seven days is by basically reversing her social status, leaving leaving her status as a as a single mom behind and reconnecting with with her ex-husband. From this po point onwards, the husband actually becomes the major player in the story. Who who is the character who makes most of the notions or drives the the investigation most forward? Reiko herself becomes less capable and, and more hysterical and uh, once or twice even, you know, threatens to quit the investigation while it's still going on and she herself is under the death spell or at least believes she is. Yeah. And she also has to reconnect with her grandparents in order to, you know, get someone to look after her son so that she can run around to do the whole cursed videotape investigations. And when it comes to American, about the family dynamics, because for both Samara and Aiden, they, they are both dysfunctional a bit. Like Rachel doesn't wash her wash her child out with the with the well water, so to speak. But it's it's not surprising that Aiden has grown to be so independent and serious as 
he is portrayed right off the gate. Uh, and Rachel is this busy woman reporter, often away from home. And therefore, Aidan and Samara are connected a bit. And Rachel and Samara's mother, or foster, foster mother, have some parallel qualities. And notably, Aidan calls his, his mom Rachel, which first made me think that she is a foster parent, but, but she's not. So it's either they have a little bit of a broken relationship, or it's just what the movie wants to hint without there being any of such thing. Yeah, the movie kind of mirrors that there's a mirroring dynamic between Rachel and her kid and, and Samara and her stepmom, where Samara's stepmom is someone who hasn't had the opportunity to have a child, even though she really had wanted one, finally has her wish granted, and then comes to regret that wish. And Rachel, on the other hand, is someone who has a kid, but takes her kid kinda as a granted. Yeah, it seems that Rachel and the guy have got, forgot his name. The guy and the Rachel seem to have a warmer relationship going as, as the story goes on. Yeah, I I had never thought of that point until you just brought it up uh, just now. I think that's a really interesting character arc for Rachel. She, I, I don't, I don't think that she feels no love for for her son, but it's it's not the I think the typical mother son relationship. Uh, at some point, it's mentioned that her and whatever Martin Henderson's character's name is Noah. Uh, yeah. That her and Noah had Aiden when they were very young. So potentially maybe 17, 18, maybe they were still in high school. Obviously it didn't work out between the two of them and they didn't stay married. And so she's got this sort of broken relationship with her son. Meanwhile, she's investigating this relationship between a mother and a daughter where the all this mother wanted was to have a child. And then she finally got one and all hell broke loose. And then by the end of the film, she, I think, has this sort of renewed relationship with Aiden, where she sort of realizes what the role of the mother is supposed to be and, and how grateful she should be to have this amazing, bright, independent child. Uh, I had not even thought about that. Thanks, guys. Bring in, bring in some character arcs. <laughs> there you go. And can I just say, too, speaking of the, since we're talking about the relationship, I think one thing that I was I'm, I remembered even from the first time I saw this was when Aiden watches the tape and the phone rings and she like picks it up and puts it down and the phone rings again and this time it's it's Noah and she screams in the phone leave us alone and then he's like oh Rachel it's me and then she says he watched the tape our son watched the tape what a beautiful way to reveal who this man is and the relationship between all of them. Because before that, we didn't know really who he was. Maybe it was hinted at a little here and a little there, but I thought it was a beautiful way to really reveal it. I, I thought the same thing when I was watching it. Also, this this way of keeping some gates open for imagination in the Verbinski version. It happens less in the Ringu version, where everything is outright explained. Well, not everything, but especially in the, the Korean version, where... The doctor just suddenly goes somehow into this conclusion that, yeah, 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 it's a cursed VHS tape and it's looked through the eyes of 
some kind of a witch. And yeah, I'm totally on board with you, lady. Uh, oh, that was so terrible. Yeah, because the woman blinks 17 times in a minute or whatever the hell. Yeah, whatever the hell that was. Right. But, the tape, I think, since, again, I'm going to just keep latching on to things you bring up. How do you guys feel about the actual tape? The tape within the tape um, uh, from all three versions? Well, when it comes to the Korean version, the, the tape is by far the worst. <laughs> like, this may be subjective, but... It has none of that attempt of a psychological overload in its imagery that the American ring is kind of famous for. For example, the, the spinning ladder, because ladders are tied to occult or superstitious beliefs. And I didn't find really anything such here. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that video in the American version that overloads kind of the, the audience with so many concepts it adds a lot of the creep factor that way. You can't process the images because they come with such of a pace and, and the great sounds in the tape. That's why it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I... Yeah, it's very grating, yeah. the sounds. And especially... Yeah, I'm yeah. with Corey here on, on the tape question. The, the oh. South Korean one most definitely is, is the worst. Worst one of, of, of the tapes. I did like quite a lot the Korverpinski's tape, even though I am with Noah on, on the assessment that it looks extremely lot like an edgy student film. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I felt that it worked pretty much simply because, simply because as Kari put it, it kind of overloads you with, with concepts. And, and images and sounds. The Japanese one is okay. I never really... People often remark how it is super abstract and, and because of that super tense and, and scary. I never really felt that except in, in two shots. The first one which is where the people are crawling on the ground backwards. And the second one would be the image of, of the man with a towel, a towel on his head. And outside of that, yeah. the Japanese, it, it never has had that big of an effect on me. Yeah, I feel that the American version takes a lot of the concepts of that and then yet again improves on them. And this is why I said that it's kind of unfair to also compare this because, yeah, you make one thing and then... Another guy says, oh, well, maybe we could improve on that. And it often doesn't work with the remakes, but somehow here they make it work. I like, I, I like the part about, isn't it like this, that in the Ringu video, when Sadako appears in the mirror, that mirror is now on the right side of the screen. But on the Verbinski version, uh, Samara appears on the left side. And I felt that maybe that's a nice psychological addition that it's not on the kind of comfortable side, the correct side of the screen. It's where it shouldn't be, right? In a golden ratio sense, maybe. Interesting idea. What's the most horrifying element in these videos for you guys? There's the shot of all the maggots, of all the people swimming, which turns into maggots. That sort of sends a chill up my spine. Something like that happens, yeah. 
there, there's, there's something about that long-haired girl who stares you from a teleporting mirror or whatever it is and levitates backwards in the Verbinski version. I love that. I love that. And while she does that, she is on the kind of wrong side of the frame, as I said. And that is the most unsettling image of the film for me. Overall, The Ring is not so horrific. It's got more like a mystery thriller. And I have no problem with that because it kind of also improves the, the whole story around The Ring. It has a lot of story to tell investigation, investigating the whole story with Rachel, going through the archives and newspapers, clippings, and the audience is with you. Like, I like that. Yeah, I think that that's uh, an interesting change to a traditional quote-unquote horror film, where in this film, because you're right, it's not a horror film, it's a mystery th thriller, where and, uh, typically in a horror film, your, your protagonist things are happening to him or her and they're the victim of all these things that continue to happen to them whereas this the protagonist is the doer they're they're proactively seeking out she is out there trying to solve this mystery she's going to places she's talking to people she's trying to you know figure out what happened uh which i think is a nice sort of flip on a traditional horror film absolutely i don't know i, I kind of would argue against against you on on that notion not 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 in the sense that this wouldn't have the investigatory element but i often feel that a lot of horrors mm. actually do lean on having some type of investigation plotline in them it of, of course it it feeds into what type of horror films you check out like for example True. uh uh, Friday the 13th, no investigation plot lines in them whatsoever. None at all. The entire franchise. They're just, they're just victims. They, they are just victims. Uh, but then again, for example, there's a fair number of on, on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise where, yeah, they still are very much victims, but there, there are characters who still try to do an investigation and figure out what's going on. Yeah. It, it okay. doesn't happen in every single one of, of the Nightmare sequels, but I, I would say it, it does happen quite constantly. Yeah, well, we just said that The Ring is more of a mystery thriller, but... <laughs> I'm going to say about the Korean version that its biggest sin is still that it just isn't scary or for that matter interesting. There there are these spooky moments that come out of nowhere and you aren't prepared to be scared. They just are there and, and the imagery is not so interesting. And even when this an antagonist, what whatever was the name of Sadako in this movie, she comes through the TV and the choice of angle looks a bit static like is it just a smart artistic decision you know tv and static <laughs> get it but yeah it looks it looks as if they chose that angle to for technical reasons some technical limitations it's shot in a bright room directly in front of the tv no shadows or no anything obscuring anything that was kind of bizarre overall i feel more satisfied when watching the, the cinematography of Virus compared to Ringu, 
well, we have close-ups finally. We have some dollies and livelier, livelier characters than in Ringu, but but then the script is poorly paced and they go, go through this scary tape over and over and over and it's somewhere around the 45 minutes mark when they when the doctor doesn't reach this abysmal conclusion that okay yeah let's go to the deep well end and yeah um the ring virus is kind of kind of curious mess it's it's very much in in a between points of, of different things. Cinematography-wise, it's it's in between of Verbinski's very much MTV-era-esque filmmaking and a, a kind of dreary Japanese film style. It's somewhere between. And story-wise, it's between, well, the, the story of the novel, but then... Or it starts to follow the story of the novel, but then in some major plot points, it kind of chickens out and opts out instead to go with with, with the storyline from from Ringu, and therefore it kind of also lands into between point in, in plotline wise, which does lead into a fair amount of confusion, especially when you read to like the last third of the film where right. the characters are able to to make deductions from individual elements that they just find. The biggest one, in my opinion, on the, this this front would be that that size drawing or painting of the South Korean Sadako. They, they just find it and they immediately deduce that, aha, this my, my guy must be the painter. They go to the painter and they immediately kind of get from him the, the whole, yeah, I raped the bitch background. And from there, they just deduce the location of the well. And the biggest frustration point may be that there is no chemistry between these two characters. And somehow it's by design, but I don't know if it's the book to blame or that they didn't then alter it i don't know but it provides nothing to the audience these two guys together yeah it's it's a complete dead zone originally the book once again if i remember correctly uh the reporter and and the doctor they were supposed to be old friends like they knew each other before the story really happens. That's something that most definitely is not the case in, in the Ring Virus, where they never seen each other before. The reporter just finds out or hears a rumor that, hey, there is this doctor guy who once had a prominent career, but now is labeled as a basket case because he believes in this supernatural shenanigans and goes to meet the doctor who is immediately a major class asshole. Yeah. Okay, maybe a little bit about the sequels quick, quickly, if we have time. Well, yeah, as stated, Rosen is the unfortunate bastard child sequel that everybody wants to forget. And it's a mess. Uh, Ringu 2... The sequel gonna carry its own from the original. Somehow also kills Reiko. Spoilers, spoilers. It really wants to get rid of Reiko in both Rasen and Ringu too. So there was a basically an explosion in 98 and 99 of not only the Ringu films, Ring films. There was also two TV series in Japan. 
which I haven't seen. And after the the American versions, there's now been kind of a comeback of Sadako in Japan. There is a Sadako 3D, there is Sadako 3D2, and what else? And the latest, I believe, is the Sadako, titled only Sadako. And then in between somewhere there is the Sadako versus the Chuon character. Apologies for not having this on my on my notes, but yes. Yeah, when it comes to the sequels, or does Zack wanna... This is gonna be a long one from me, so if, if Zack has something he wants to say, now's a good time before I start my rant. <laughs> Proceed with thy rant. Okay, thank you very much, my good sir. Uh, when it comes to the sequels, it kind of reaches a complete clusterfuck. The further down the pipeline we go. And I kind of see the change in technology to be blamed for this. Uh, Ring originally... Like the main story, the one that we have today been covering. I, I do feel that it's very much a story that might not last the test of time. Because it so heavily uh, kind of leans on the technology at play. It leans on the VHS tape. The VHS tape is a, is a, like, a like a major part of the aesthetic True. of, of the Ring f films. Just like is is the the kind of the, the the snowy static that you get from the TV screens or did get from the TV screens, you can't get it anymore with a modern TV. Our today's version of static is nothing more than a text, no signal, and the VHS tapes have been transformed into DVDs, live streaming, Blu-rays. And because of that, I do kind of feel that you, me, Zach, we might be kind of the, the the peak generation for Ring, the original Ring story. We still remember VHS. We we have memories about the old TV sets. We we know what the hell that 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 snowy static actually is. But I would say today's children will grow up in a society where, where the technology is so advanced that when they are 20s, when they are at their 20s and they check out the ring for the first time, they are not most likely going to understand what the hell is VHS. And and why why is there that, that grainy static on TV screen? Why doesn't it just say signal loss? And why the picture quality is so shit? <laughs> and the audio is, is completely terrible. Like, what, what is this? Why? And the sequels kind of try to course correct it. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, the, the driving motive in the sequels is that somehow Sadako has to be gotten out of the VHS realm. And it goes batshit bonkers with it. Like, the, the third one in the series, the, the prequel... Ring Ring Zero Birthday. If I remember correctly, that has like a like a, a evil clone of of Sadako. It's it's either evil twin or evil clone. But there's a good and bad Sadako. Then there's the the latest American version, 
rings in in which tries to play the, the whole plotline that well now finally somebody has has digitalized the VHS tape okay. and <laughs> I felt that a huge part of the scary aesthetic was immediately lost since we were now you know dealing with dot HVI file and the, the one of the latest one is in in Japanese territory is is Sadako versus Yuon. Sadako versus Kayako, yeah. Yeah, Sadako versus Kayako, which concludes into the two coming together and fusing into Sayako, <laughs> which now once again is a creepy ghost killer who doesn't have to lean on the whole VHS thing to move around. Or that's ex- at least what I think they are gonna go with that line. Uh, I kept wondering in rings if you get bonus points from Samara if you make 10,000 digital copies of the movie or if you share it on Facebook. Is that good enough? Yeah, or if if you, you know, put it up as a torrent, does anyone who downloads the tor- torrent file from you, do they count as a people who you have spread the, the tape? Yeah, guys, VHS Master Race, just stick with that. What about converting it to Laserdisc? Does that count? <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, when when Korver, Verpinski's film came out, it it was shortly after when I I found out the the Ring fanfic fa- fanfic section of the internet, and one of the very first gimmicks that the fanfic writers utilized was the idea of of somebody digitalizing the videotape. And usually this displayed out with the idea that I, I found the videotape and I went mad from seeing it and from the impending doom that it brought upon me. So I digitalized it and I put it up on the torrent network, but I renamed it to be porn. So now, now there's a there's, there's a like a fake file which promises you you hot teen slots xxx on page, but if you download it, it's actually the cursed ring video. And I even even back then, like like you know back in back in oh, to the nineties, I I kind of felt that even though the idea is kind of clever and intriguing, it still lost something like it. It didn't feel nearly as effective to me since the, the the material was not on a VHS tape. Yeah, this might be the only time that I'm going to defend VHS here and just say that in a VHS form it looks more organic and it just loses that when there is none of those frame drops. And Well, I guess it could be argued that it's more digital what Samara is doing with this frame dropping teleportation powers when she kills the guy in the ring. But I like that added effect because in the original Ringu, she didn't do that. She becomes much creepier with this with this added static effect and the teleportation. What was your favorite Sadako Samara? I'd, I'd say Samara. Oh, I was, I, 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 I'm torn. Um, I like, Verbinski's. I like uh, the actress that plays Samara. 
Devi Chase, I believe was her name. Um, but I'm also a big fan of, of Duna Bay, who I, I did not realize was was in this film. Uh, and I'm watching it, and all of a sudden I get to that part where you see her face. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Duna Bay! But she's uh, done a lot of the Wachowski sisters stuff. Um, so she was in Cloud Atlas. She's in Sense8. She's, I believe, going to be in the new Matrix Part 4. Um, she's pretty fantastic. So I like, I just like her as an actress, just in general, even though we didn't get to really see very much from her. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything in your notes that you still want to quickly mention before quick is? Uh, not on my end. I, I've ranted everything. <laughs> I have a bone to pick. Go ahead. Here's my bone. So you watch this, you watch this tape. And then you're going to die seven days later. Seven days. Uh, there, there's two things. Seven days. Two things about it that I don't get. One is, in the very in the opening scenes for, 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 all, for all of these, uh, it's usually these, these two girls having a little sleepover, and they're sort of joking around, and one's like, oh, have you heard about this tape? Yeah, like, oh my god, like, you totally watch it, and then you die seven days later. Uh, I gave, I don't know, I don't know why I gave them a, a California Valley accent, but, um, and then one of them's like, oh my God, no, like I saw it. No one. And they're really freaked out. And then they sort of like joke about it. And then something happens where they then turn really serious again. I'm like, wait, wait. So you, did you, re- did you really see this tape or didn't you? Because the fact that you keep going back and forth being, <laughs> between being like freaked out and then you're like joking and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. So Billy and I, we went to the mountains. Suddenly we, we totally did it. We totally had sex. Oh my God. Like, wait, are you scared for your life right now or not? Because I'm a little confused by this. <laughs> right. So that's, that, that's, that's, that's one bone I, I'm, I'm going to pick. And then my other bone that I'm going to pick is, um, we, I mean, we follow Rachel and we follow these, these other women as, you know, these main characters who are experiencing some weird shit as their, you know, as their week progresses. Uh, I mean, to me, one of the most visceral things is Rachel choking on a glass of water <laughs> and then she is full fisted pulling out these electrodes from her throat. By the way, I don't know how they did that, but holy shit, that was very effective. Um, okay, so that to me would be a very scarring thing, and I would be like, oh my god, yeah, like there's some fucked up shit going on. I've, we've got to figure out what's going on. But it seems like this did not happen to the girl at the very beginning, because she's just sitting there having a sleepover with her girlfriend and talking about, what do you want to watch on TV? And, did you, oh yeah, we went to the mountains with my friend, with my boyfriend, like... Have you have you not been choking up electrodes? Have you not been seeing <laughs> creepy images? Have you not had the week from hell? You should have like circles around your eyes from not sleeping for the past seven days. Um, so apparently that on, only happened to to Rachel, I guess, uh, or or to these these main characters. So the inconsistency is a, is a bone I have to pick. Man, she was just an airheaded teenager. Yeah, <laughs> she she forgot. The, the, the whole I was puking out electrodes just a couple of days ago thing. Mm. Or it, it, it was just that, well, she didn't realize anything was wrong because she already was choking all, on a lot of hair on that little trip of hers. <laughs> <laughs> She's a good girl. She did not. She's a good girl. 
<laughs> and then I and then my final bone, and then I'll shut up. Uh, you know, I I'm glad that we have progressed from the. 90s or when did when did the book come out was that the the 80s 91 the book came out oh 91 you know i think we've progressed a lot so i I do have to say having your main villain this source of fear and this thing that's very different being a person who is intersex i think is problematic so i do like the fact that at least in the sequels and the uh, american remakes we just we'll just take that part out um so that we're not sort of vilifying people who have different biological physiology. Uh, so that'll be my last bone I'll pick. Second, yeah. second the, the story tries to, to save this plot point by, by having the doctor make a note that, like in the Big Bang, when, when the dark and light were one, perhaps in some early t- stages of humanity, man and woman was a single organism, uh, a perfect organism. Mm. I just kept wondering how Rob Zombie would have directed this intro part anyway, of the ring. Like, would it have been going like, Oh my god, you just totally did it, you fucking hooker, son of a bitching, tit-sucking asshole. All kinds of dirty words coming out. Oh, that was a great accent, by the way. Love it. Um... <laughs> Oh my god, Rob Zombie's version. The, the Halloween remakes were pretty good. The, the, the oh, Rob Zombie god. Halloween 2, which you, by the way, gave a recommendation. <laughs> I, I, and I still do. I, I still do. It's <laughs> realistic dialogue. I don't know what you are bitching about. <laughs> okay, special mention for an actor goes to, with no surprises here, Naomi Watts on my end. I'll second the motion. I'm quite torn between Naomi Watts and Hiroki Sanada, who played the psychic ex-husband in, 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 in Ringu. Okay. But, I, I don't know, uh, perhaps it's because I, I believe that we, I will run into Sanada some later episode in some foreseen for future. Or, or perhaps it's just that I first experienced Naomi Watts. Perhaps it's the fact that I've kind of liked Naomi Watts' horror film run. But like, the films are quite the dog shit, but Naomi Watts is, is good. But yeah, I, I third the notion. And yeah, he has been an internationally successful actor as far as I know this. You said Sanada? Yeah. Right. Is there some small role... Any role that you found somehow worth highlighting for whatever reason could be. Therefore, like a half a second, great, horrible or fun or odd performance of any kind. Well, when Rachel goes to investigate the the video and takes a print screen, there's this lady who is being totally bitchy towards her. I don't know why, but yeah, that's what the script is doing. Oh, you want to watch it alone? Okay, whatever. So... Uh, her name, her character's name is Donna, and the actress is Stephanie Erb. I looked it up because I also thought she was fantastic. Yeah, she she's fantastic in portraying her as the kind of a weirdo who wants to see all of all people's private videos. This might very much just be my over-encompassing love towards towards children, but I just kind of really wanted to strangle David Dorfman, who played Aiden in the Rapinski wow. version. Why is that? 
I don't know, maybe it's just that I kind of just found the whole creepy kid, uh, you know, stinge kind of aggravating. I don't know, I can't like name the single thing why, but when, when Rachel at the end of the film is able to save her son from Samara, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's fantastic, great. Good, I really was hoping that the kid makes it. Yeah, there's definitely an attempt to make Aiden creepy and some kind of a parallel to Samara. Yeah, I'll say, uh, well, I'll, I'll, get, I'll say a little something about David Dorfman, then I'll get to my to my answer. But David Dorfman, by the way, who I looked up because I was like, hey, has this kid done anything since then? Get ready for an update that you're not going to believe. So he only acted for a couple of years. He soon left the acting world. But he was admitted to UCLA at 13 years old. He was admitted to UCLA. I'm not surprised. And then he graduated with a perfect GPA. Jesus. And, then, uh, and graduated as valedictorian with a perfect GPA and then got admitted to Harvard Law School at 18 years old. Jesus. Holy fucking shit. Yeah, he's incredible. And now he's like out there uh, doing all kinds of... Let's see, he currently serves as legal counsel for the U.S. House of Representatives ranking member of Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on Asia and works for nonprofits to like secure democracy around the world. He's out there doing the Lord's work. Holy shit. You know, uh, I, I, I have to give it, give it to the man, my, my hat off. He, he sounds really good guy. Tremendous, tremendous character. Still, still wanted to strangle him as a child, but I'm really <laughs> happy that 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 she that he made it, made it through the ring film, and and me, and now is a grown up. I felt that for 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 a kid performance, this was once again excellent and a fantastic choice for a character who's supposed to be a little older than his age in a behavior. It's not a bad performance. Yeah. I I. Think I I feel that I have to to yeah, stress yeah. that one. I, got that. I my my like my quote unquote hate towards his towards him as a as a kid in in Verbinski's The Ring. It's it's not due to his performance. There's just something that I found found quite aggravating, and I can't name it. But since he now has a law degree, when when we when this podcast gets hit by a copyright strike and car is taken off the air. We kind of can already suspect who is behind all, the, all that shit. <laughs> all right, what, what resonated with you the most in these films? It's kind of hard to name it, but definitely just the character of Sadako Samurai is an important one in horror history that maybe needs more, more props than it might get in the film history. To me, kind of the unifying aspect was the investigation and the investigative element that the film, all, all these films have, but which is mostly carried on its shoulders by Verbinski's remake. In one adjective, how would you describe these films? I said foreboding. Does static sound weird? I'll go with static. <laughs> And I pick Doom-like. Did you pick any favorite quotes? We can go over this if there's nothing. 
Frolic and brine, goblins be thine. Oh, I almost took that one. Mine is also from Ringo. My dad's fat, so is my mom. So I'm fat too. That, that's just kind nice. of fat shaming. <laughs> nice going, kid. <laughs> <clears throat> they are body positive. Should be re-edited. <laughs> they are everything except body positive. Or at least that goddamn kid is everything but body positive. Would you consider to watch the Ring films again? How's the rewatchability here? I say yes to Ringu and Verbinski's version. When it comes to the South Korean one, I I do own it as a as a DVD. It is in my collection. I've seen it now twice. This is my my second viewing of, of the film. And there's been like years between, you know, the first and, and the second time. I have returned back to, to Ringo and Verbinski's film on occasion. But I, I haven't returned to re the Ring virus until now that I had to do it. And I kind of have the inkling that I won't be returning to the film for the third time unless once again... There is a situation that calls for it. I will happily return to the Ring American version. I've seen it a lot of times, so not in the near future, but yes, this is a movie that is is good. Uh, Ringo, I always have this kind of a disconnect with this, 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 the whole style of the film, so maybe not, maybe not. And the Korean version just got everything wrong so no yeah i would say if if there were any of them that were definitely rewatchable it's verbinski's uh and i say that only because i did rewatch it on my own about a month ago before i knew we were going to be talking about it um and was very surprised at how well it held up um the other two mm, not as much yeah true my appreciation for the american also rose a lot during the, the research phase here well would you recommend these films? I guess that was already answered. So yeah, I would recommend the American and skip the rest. Same. I I would still extend a recommendation to, to Ringu. Yeah, there's some good looking cinematography to be found in the original Ringu, but yeah, it, uh, like you said, Henrik, it's, it looks like a... Well, no, you said it about, about the actual scary movie from the the ring but for me ringu looks like a student film often with framing which is so uninspiring and flat that that the film must have been driven over with a steamroller just to make sure that it's as flat as possible and sometimes you you don't even know who is the subject in the frame i would like to just go, go on a little rant on this because when reiko goes to the goes to talk to the students in the funeral and then the camera tracks towards the students who are, who are we supposed to be looking at here okay the one that speaks the most of the students is in the bang on center but we have a lot of noise here the background it's full of asymmetrical noise and similar colors to the foreground so i feel it's just a lazy angle as an example only and, and some of the choices 
they can feel somewhat forced on by the location and the budget but but most of the dullness i've found was avoidable and and the characters that are blocking the doorways even the kid is in front of the doorway where the empty space should be left for that foreboding effect or somebody being out of focus in the background which the ring does at least three times and it works for a great effect and it's not even trying this the ring the ringu to do that why just verbinski is doing all the right moves here well uh, order of preference for the movies the ring ringu and virus for me i would say the ring ringu the ring recut and then the ring virus and if you don't know about the ring recut i highly recommend it you can find it on youtube if you just type in the ring recut it is a trailer for the verbinski ring but recut to make it look like it's a beautiful romantic tearjerker drama <laughs> and it is amazing <laughs> it is amazing so gonna check that out on my end, also, as a no surprise to, to anyone, I, I my my lineup is two is is Berpinski's version, then the original, and the South Korean as as a third, simply on the vir- virtue that it's on the list. Yeah, <laughs> you really know you're watching the Ring films when dot dot dot. You really know you're watching the Ring films when the tracking markers on your TV are shot to hell. You really know you're watching the Ring films when... My wife was not supposed to have a child! (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You really know you're watching the Ring films when you are trying desperately to get, get your shitty-ass student film edginess past your professor, and in the last-ditch attempt, since nothing else seems to work, you make the case that, no, no, I actually found this, and it is supposed to be super-deadly little videotape. (laughs) All right. Dear listener, would you recommend the films? Come and comment on our socialistic media pages. Or, you know, come, come... To, to come tell us exactly why we should be taken off the air, seeing exactly how much shit we gave to the original Japanese version. Yeah, we didn't get any bad feedback from from the cuties, so I guess now it's time when we are touching on this touchy topic. So is there anything else you want to add, or is it time to close the lab? I think we got it all out there. I think we can hang up our lab coats. So, you can find us on social media... On Facebook, as the Flick Lab Podcast, or on Twitter, Flick Lab is our handle. On Instagram, as the Flick Lab, and on LinkedIn, and yeah, you'll find us. You can follow me on Twitter if you can type correctly. Respect, mad respect. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ZacharyPen48. And you can follow me in your mom's bedroom. <laughs> Uh, you, you can also check us out uh, on the, the flicklab.com webpage. Our theme music was created by master on the guitar, Nick Rivell. An episode edited by me, as per usual. In our next episode, we'll be discussing Mars 
and how it's portrayed in cinema over the last hundred years or so. You mean the candy bar, right? <laughs> the <laughs> subtle change from milk chocolate to dark chocolate was revolutionary. <laughs> so in the next episode, we will run through the history of the Mars-related movies, but we will concentrate on, first, A Trip to Mars, US version short film. Then we will move on to, yes, again, A Trip to Mars, now from Denmark, from 1918. Those are my films. Then Henrik will give us an overview of Elita from 1922, a Russian Mars-related film. Then what is Zach doing? I'll be hitting up the original War of the Worlds, uh, done in America in 1953. Whereas I will be looking at the Angry Red Planet 1959 from the US, followed by Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from 1965. I'm really shocked and amazed that Henrik didn't pick this one. And then I'll be doing the American film Mission to Mars, done in 2000. And then Red Planet 2000. Done by Henrik, then Stranded 2001, I will go through it. And then Zach is going to go through the remake of War of the Worlds, right? Yes, the Tom Cruise Spielberg version. From 2005. And then we check out Christmas on Mars 2008. I will give you an overview, and then Henrik will look at The Martian. The most famous film out of the Mars-related movies, for sure, from 2015. And finishing off with The Space Between Us from 2017, starring a Mr. Aza Butterfield. Looking forward to that. All right. Holy shit, that's a lot of film. Holy shit, indeed. And yes, we're not going to watch the same movies now. There's going to be a bunch of films that we're going to look on our own in an effort that we will give in a timely fashion an episode about the whole history of Martian-related movies. So this is some kind of quite of an experiment. Hopefully you guys will like this. And yeah, we'll see what kind of a havoc we'll have for, for next time. Until then. Later. Stock footage of, I don't know, Karelian pie and green balls. Yeah. I live in the forest. Mm. Yep. Is somebody playing some audios at the background? Could be. Yeah.